We live in a country that is in need of a spiritual renewal. The obvious signs are all around us. The crime rate, the divorce rate, the abortion rate. The thinking of our society today where immorality has become not only accepted, but expected. We've changed our views on what the Bible calls immoral. Homosexuality is now raised to the level of a civil rights. Adultery and fornication is called cohabitation and not frowned on. It's winked at. Abortion rate, children out of wedlock, the list goes on and on and on. But we have a problem in this country. It has been so long since there has been a real spiritual renewal, spiritual awakening in this country that there is no one alive today that knows what it's like because we've never lived through it. The last time there was a real spiritual awakening that was a landscape changing, a DNA rearranging, a heart-wrenching, heaven-sent revival that swept across the entire land was in the 1850s. Oh, we've had pockets of revival, but we have not seen our land changed. In fact, in the 1850s, one man in New York City was trying to find where the revival was meeting, and he ran up to a police officer, and he said, Where's the revival? Where's the revival? Where's the revival? And the policeman looked at it and said, It's right here! It's right here! It's right here! We need a revival. We need a renewal like we have not seen in our lifetime. And we don't know what it is that we're looking for. We can only read about it in history. We can only study it in the Bible. It is with this thought that we have planned next weekend. As your pastor, I'll just tell you that every time I bow my head to pray, I say, Lord, send a renewal, send a awakening. Send a revival. People's hearts are so cold toward you and, and the things that you want us to do and to be. And I spend time just saying, God, send it. If there's going to be a revival in Hueytown, it's got to start somewhere. Why not here? So with that in mind, your pastor and the other leaders of the church, I don't take the full responsibility for it. Your pastor and other leaders of the church, we feel like the time is right. Us. But I will tell you this, no revival. Study every one of them in history. Study every one of them in the Old Testament. I went and read through Second Chronicles last night, those chapters from about 25 on, where they would have renewal, a revival, and then they would have a bad king, then they'd have another revival, then they'd have another bad king, a revival. Here's what I will tell you, no revival, no renewal ever come to any people who did not want it. In fact, Vance Havner said in the 80s before he died, he said, the situation is desperate and the saints aren't. From our text today, and I hope you'll keep your Bible open. From our text today, I want to share with you some... You can go ahead and put that up there. I want to, I want to share with you some keys to spiritual renewal. 
Now, I want to pause here and just say there are keys. These are not steps. We as Baptists are notoriously horrendous at putting everything spiritually into a step. If you do one, two, three, four, then five will happen. Not the case. I'll go ahead one more there. Um, here's what I want to tell you. If you'll picture this up here, it's not on the screen. If you can picture, you see that door right there? Picture that as a door that opens one way. We know it opens two ways. And I want you to picture over here a series of locks. Deadbolt locks to get into the door. You turn them, and then you open the door. Maybe you have three or four, maybe you have ten locks on there today as much security as we want. If you open those locks, you're going to need a key, and you're going to need the right key. And you're not only going to have to just have possession of the right key, you're going to have to put it, put it into the right lock. You're going to have to line up the tumblers with the cut of the key, and then you're going to have to rotate it. Now, here's the trick. Are you listening? Here's the trick. You cannot unlock two of three locks and the door open. You cannot unlock it part of the way. You have to use that key and completely clear the lock from the door framing, and you have to do every one of them. We're going to talk this morning about some. We're going to talk tonight about some more. I think it's this important. So today from our text, I want to offer you three keys. Three keys. And all three of these keys have to do with being clear about things. There's a lot of unclear thinking among us today. The preacher preaches God's Word, whether it's Brother Jerry, Brother Terry, Brother Gary, Brother Troy, it doesn't matter, Brother um, Jason, it doesn't matter. We preach God's Word. And many times we go out and we go, well, I know what the preacher says, but this is what I think. Listen, that's not coming if there's going to be renewal. So let's look at these three keys this morning, things that we need to be clear about. First of all, we need to be clear. key number one is we need to be clear about sovereign God. We need to be clear about the sovereign, the one we call God. You know what? You've heard me commiserate from this pulpit time and again about the concept of God today. Somewhere between the Easter Bunny and Granddaddy. Someone who just strokes you a little bit. You need to go back and read the Old Testament and get a good picture of sovereign God. Here, in, if you go to these seven letters, just for a little, for those that may not know all about the Bible, we looked at the end of chapter 3 of Revelation Beginning in chapter 2 of Revelation and all of chapter 3, Jesus himself is dictating these words to John. Our Lord himself, if you have a red print Bible, it's in red. And in every church, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, it doesn't matter. He says some things about himself that they need to hear. Look at what he says here. There are some things we need to be clear about here. First of all, we need to be clear about who he is. We need to be clear about who he is. It doesn't matter what your concept is. It matters what the Bible says and who he actually is. Look at what it says. I love this. Verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the originator of God's creation says. Now watch. This is him describing himself. Let's start at the back. The originator of God's creation. You know what that tells us? That tells us that our Lord, the one speaking these words, was present when creation 
was, came into being. We read a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 1, nothing was created without Him. And without Him, nothing was created that was created. That is who He is. He is God of yesterday. Then it says He is a faithful and true witness. You know what that means? That means He sees everything that goes on today. That means He's a witness to what's going on in your life. That means He is a witness to your attitude. That means He is a witness to your faithfulness or your unfaithfulness. That means He can step in at any point in history. He is faithful and true because He knows the truth. And then it says, I like this part. I may run for this page over because... As I prayed through this, I was in my mom's hospital room, and I had to get up and walk the hall a couple of times, Bob, because of what this says to us. Watch this. Then he says, I am the amen. The amen. Now, look, he, look, he was here at the beginning. He's a faithful and true witness. He looks all the way down through history. And listen, he's watched the kings come. He's watched the kings go. He's watched the people come. He's watched the people go. And at the end of time, he'll be the last king standing. That's who he is. Now listen, how does that play in to renewal? May I just say this to you? I didn't have to get this far in the message, and I already had, already had myself to examine, to think about who God is, who our Lord Jesus is. He is the same yesterday. He is the originator. He is the same today. He's the faithful and true witness. And he'll be the same tomorrow because he is the amen, the final period only. Our existence. That's who He is. If there's to be revival, it's going to be because we know who He is. The second thing He tells us is that we need to think about what He, because who He is, because of what He thinks. What He knows. Excuse me. What He knows. Look, I love this scripture. What He knows. He says, I know your works, that you are neither hot or cold or hot. If you thought about what our Lord knows, it's easy to say, oh, He knows everything. He knows everything. Everybody agree with that? Give me a shake or an amen or something. Yeah, He knows everything, but we make that so general that we forget what He knows. He knows what's going on in your heart right now. You know that foul word that you said last Thursday? He knows it. You know that seed of, of discontent that you sow among the brothers? He knows it. You know that bad attitude that you harbor and you try to hide from everybody? He knows it. You know that immorality you participated in? He knows it. You know that relationship that you have destroyed? He knows it. You see, He knows you better and you know yourself. You can fool him. Yes, you can fool the preacher. Yes, you can fool the deacons. Yes, you can fool the people in your Sunday school class. But you don't fool God. Hey, by the way, you can fool the preacher, the deacons, people in your Sunday school class. You can even fool yourself. But you can't fool God. It's what he knows. And that bleeds into this. When you're clear about the power of God, you number three, you're clear about what He desires, what He wants. This is sobering. This is sobering. He said, I wish that you were either hot 
a cold. Have you thought about that? He wants you to be something. He wants you to either be cold or hot. Have you ever thought of it? He wants you to be hot because if you have a hot heart for Him, His Holy Spirit controls you and He can, he can make the best of your life. He can use you. He can speak to you. He can commune with you. If you're hot. But if you're cold, you know what He can do? He can send the fire of His Holy Spirit to melt your cold, cold heart. Rob, uh, what was that Williams guy name? Hank Williams, melt your cold, cold heart. He can send the fire of the Holy Spirit. You won't even know what's going on, and he will melt your cold, cold heart. That's what he wants to do. You see, with a cold heart, there is no movement. It is just frozen. With a hot heart, there is nothing but movement, and you're sensitive to the fire of the Holy Spirit. This is what he desires. One or the other. You see, if there's to be spiritual renewal, we have to get on board with what He desires. And He knows best. Hello? He knows best. And I'll just tell you, teenagers. There was a time when I was a teenager when I thought all Jesus wanted to do was cramp my style. Now, you don't use that term today. But all he wanted to do was mess up my life. Man, I had a living to do and I wanted to do it. All he did was get in the way. Please listen. Please listen. He created you. He designed you. And the way for you to find life at the fullest is to find what he wants for you. Hey. We like that when I say that to the teenagers. Listen, senior adult, God wants the same thing for you. You will never find life to the fullest until you find what He desires for you. In fact, you'll be frustrated, senior adult, you'll turn into a crotchety old bitter person. Nobody will want to be around you. You won't understand why. Because every time they open their mouth to you, all you got something to say is negative. You don't find what God wants you to be. That's the person that you become. Uh, mother and son over here, okay? you got to be clear about who God is. you got to be clear about who He is, about what He knows, and what He desires. But there's a second thing you need to be clear about. You need to be clear about yourself. Be clear about yourself. Now, I'm not going to dug out the scientific research. I'm going to tell you what observation of, of 35 years of ministry has done for me. You know what I observe? When people look at themselves in their mirror to see who they are, <laughs> they got one of those screwy mirrors. I mean, you think about it today. When somebody gets into, somebody makes a mistake, gets into trouble today, what do they do? They try to blame somebody else. We'll talk about that tonight a little bit. They try to blame somebody else. Because I can't admit, I can't admit that I've done something wrong because everything I think, everything I do is right. Because if I do something wrong, then probably I'm inferior to other people. I just need to share this with you. 
I used to have a real inferiority complex. And then one day it dawned on me. I'm just inferior. So the complex is gone. That was supposed to be funny. I can tell I can tell you share that that I'm plain inferior. But you know what the truth is? Of all the things that we do, of all the things that we do, we don't do what the Bible says for us. Did you know that the Bible says judge yourself? Second Corinthians says examine yourself. First Corinthians, as you're getting ready for the Lord's Supper, it says examine yourself. Know yourself. Because if you'll examine yourself harshly down here, you'll avoid examination and judgment up there. As I looked at this, there's nothing that stunned me or sobered me. Like when I read this through the eyes of spiritual renewal. There are some questions. There are three questions. Three personal questions that I find here that just knock my socks off. You know what the first question is? Am I disappointing to God? Look at what he says. I wish you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, We've already talked about his desire for us to be hot or cold. You see, he's given us, there's three options. You can be hot, you can be cold, or you can be lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, you're disappointing to God. You know, that, that truth just, asked, just begged me to ask all kinds of questions. If I were to stand before my Lord today, would he be pleased with me or disappointed with me? Is my life becoming what He wants it to be or what I want it to be? My choices, my decisions, my relationships, my attitude, my faithfulness, my consistency, is it disappointing to Him or is He pleased with it? If He came down and to talk to me right now, would He say, well done thus far? You see, if there is to be a renewal, we have to come to the point where we know in ourselves whether we're disappointing to Him or not. Whether we're hot or cold. He wishes that we were one or the other so He could deal with us. Can you handle that question? If our Lord spoke to you on Tuesday, Tuesday last week, would he say, I'm pleased with what you're doing today? Or would he say, you know, you really shouldn't have spoken to that person like that. You really shouldn't talk like that. You really shouldn't be like that. You really shouldn't do that. You've made me ashamed. I wish, I wish that you were hot or cold. That's the first question. I don't know how that penetrates to you, but it tore me up. Second question, am I distasteful for God? Watch this. Last week, we went to Psalm 34, 8, 
where it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, when you taste the Lord, when you embrace the Lord, when you bring the Lord in, He will go down and He will settle well in your spirit, what the Bible calls your bowels. He will settle well. He will give you a sense of purpose, a sense of joy, a sense of peace, and a sense of life. However, when He partakes of you, is it pleasing or is it distasteful? Now, some people get upset with the home of Christian standard because it says I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Some of people say that's too crass of a word. King James uses the word spew. The English Standard Version and the New International Version uses the word spit. Now, Jimmy, I'm glad I got my nurse up here. When I think of someone spewing and spitting, I think of... Actually, I tell you what I think of. I think of that person who takes a cup of coffee when somebody, or, or a drink of a soda pop when somebody says something funny, and when the glass is gone, everything comes right out of their mouth. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's spewing or spitting to me. Vomit comes from the depths. And the reason I'm mentioning Jimmy down here is because the word that I read in medical dictionary for throw up. It's emesis, E-M-E-S-I-S. And you know what? You get that word in English language from the word that is used right here. God tastes us and he gets sick. You know what makes him sick? Lukewarmness. I got to think about this. Lukewarmness makes God sick. I can identify with that. I remember as a 13-year-old boy, the way that I raised money in the summers, Kelly, I cut grass. Me too. And and the yards in Purvis were two dollars. I'll never forget that. Two dollars a yard. I was forever getting thirsty as I was cutting. And being the stupid young boy that I was, I would turn the water on at the water hydrant and I would pick up that hose. Does anybody know what I'm about to say? And the water was lukewarm. And I have thrown up a many a time because lukewarm does not settle anybody's stomach. It doesn't cure your thirst. Ladies, when you, when you make a recipe, you're either to take cold water or boiling water. How many recipes do you have that says, get you a good bucket of lukewarm water? You see, lukewarm is sickening. You know what's so sad about us today? I remember 30 years ago in my first church, I sat around with the youth group, Brother Jason, and I said, where would you all rate your life spiritually? And a little boy over there, was not a little boy, a 14-year-old, 15-year-old said, I'm lukewarm. There was no problem. I'm lukewarm. Can I just say this to us? That lukewarmness makes God sick. But there's one more here. There's one more question here this evening. Every one of these builds on the other. Not only, not only am I disappointing to God because He wishes I was hot or cold. Not only am I, dis, am I distasteful to God because He vomits me out of the mouth. But number three, am I deceived before God? This is tough. And this is tough for the 21st century Americanized church. Please listen. Because you say, verse 17, 
I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. Boy, does that sound like the church in America in the 21st century? We come into this house and we call it worship. And really we're more concerned about how it appeals to us than how it appeals to Him. We go to our Sunday school class and it's more about us than it is about Him. In fact, we will come and go based on what we want and what we like rather than what is Him. You know, the Bible has much to say about being deceived. Not only about being deceived, it takes it up a notch. Being self-deceived. Be not deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. You say you're rich. You say you need nothing. How many of us this past Christmas, I've just thought about this, how many of us this past Christmas had to hunt to buy something for our loved one that they needed that they didn't have? Because the truth is, we have everything we need and most of what we want. If we don't have what we want, we go and buy that sucker because we don't, we're so rich, we're so wealthy, we need nothing. And in fact, you know how that bleeds over? God, we don't even really need you. Years ago, I heard somebody say the Holy Spirit could die and Baptists wouldn't know it. they just keep on going. My prayer is, God, do something special in our hearts. You want to know how self-deceived we are? I'm about to make some people mad. And uh, I will apologize now. But I thought about this the other day. I saw, I saw a prime example about how self-deceived we are. We say we love God. We say that He is number one on our throne. So I'm going to use this example, but you'll see that it runs across the board. First of all, congratulations to all Alabama fans for winning the national championship. That, that is an admirable, that is an admirable accomplishment. But this illustration is not just pointed at Alabama fans. Because it wouldn't have mattered if it was Alabama or Auburn or Georgia or South Carolina or Tennessee or Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Florida or Texas or anybody else. Please listen. On Friday night, when the Crimson Tide flew back into Tuscaloosa, in the words of the commentator, thousands of people stood out there for hours in the bitter cold to welcome back home the national champions. Now, Brother Jerry, you say something's wrong with that. No. No. What I'm saying to you, here's what's wrong with it, is that why is it that if there's 17 degrees outside and the heating goes out in the church building, we have to cancel services that don't even last for an hour and a half? I'm going to tell you why it is. It's because we're self-deceived. We don't need anything that He's got to offer. We've already got all we need. We've not let Him do a work in our heart in so long that we've forgotten what it's like. We have placed other gods before him. Now you're going, I'm good. Football's not my thing. Well, don't be self-deceived. There are other things that are taking the place of God in our lives. If there's going to be a spiritual awakening, it's going to be because we answer these three questions honestly. Am I a disappointment of God? Do I make God sick? Am I deceived about my priorities? We need to be clear about who sovereign God is. 
We need to be clear about who we are. But number three, we need to be clear. The third key, we need to be clear about the Savior. We need to be clear about who He is. I might say this before I go to the Savior. There's another part of that verse when you talk about yourself. It says, it's, you, you say you're rich, you have need of nothing, and you're wealthy, but you're really, watch this, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Be reminded, folks, he's not talking to the lost folks. He's talking to the church at Laodicea. In fact, this church of Laodicea, these churches are so well-defined that people call us living in the Laodicean age. But I want you to be clear about the Savior. In the midst of all of the melee of this society, in the midst of the melee of our dying commitment that's eroded to the point that we just give God whatever's left in our life, the Savior comes in. It is sad to say that people don't want to talk about Jesus today, and you know why? Because Jesus told us that. He said, people go fight about me. The name of Jesus divides. Brother Johnny started out with, there's something about that name. That's right. It's the name that saves. It's the name that gives life, but it's also the name that divides. It is the dividing line. Be clear about him. You know what? Jesus comes forth with an offer. He comes forth with an offer. I might just say this, that as I look at this scripture, I see three offers. He begins with the offer of purity. The offer of purity. Now, please hear me, folks. God's standard for purity has not been recanted. It's not a matter that I'm as good as the next person. That's the wrong standard. Here's what he says. He says, listen, folks, I advise you, I advise you to buy gold, to buy gold from me. Think about that. He doesn't just want us to go get the best life had to offer. That's, that's what gold represented, the best that they had. I don't just want you to buy gold. I want you to buy it from me. You know why? Because it has been purified in the fire of Calvary's cross. Buy the best that there is. And may I just say this, this offer of purity bleeds us. To receive in Jesus in a personal way. That He can take care of us. That He can redeem us. That He can give us security and a hope and a life. Dear folks, it's not, it is not good enough to call yourself by the name of Christ and to live like the devil every week. It is not, to, it is not good enough to, to, to attend every week and live with Hard and harsh feelings, terrible attitudes, and dissension in your life. It's still sin. To him that knows to do something and does it not, it, damn, it's sin. The offer of purity is that you can be rich. Now, how can you be rich? This is when you receive Jesus in a personal way. If you're already a believer, it is when you allow the Holy Spirit 
to reside in your life. But it's not only the offer of purity we find here. It's the offer of forgiveness. He not only advises us to buy gold refined in the fire so that you'll be rich and, and be pure, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shamefulness not exposed. You know what else he's giving you? He wants to give you forgiveness. That's what that white robe's all about. I know it's not this, the same way today, but there was a day in my lifetime when a bride would wear a white dress as a symbol of purity, as a symbol that she had not given herself to sex with anyone. It was a symbol of being a, a virgin. That's the white dress. Our Lord wants to give us forgiveness. Now, may I say this to you? Forgiveness is a two-way street. In fact, Jesus said, if you forgive your brothers, God will forgive you. And if you don't, he won't. Do you know how renewal will move into this congregation? Forgiveness. I don't know who it is. But since I've been studying this, I have felt impressed to say this. I believe in this room even. There may be some folks who have been at outs with each other for 25 years. One did something to the other 25 years ago, and that relationship's never been the same. Maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. But we harbor that unforgiveness. And unforgiveness will turn you to resentment, and then it will turn you to bitterness. And it, unforgiveness is like a cancer in your body. It will eat up your heart. It will eat up your life. And you will never be what God wants you to be. You'll never find joy and peace and love and happiness before Him. And by the way, it only took one person aching to sin and he held back 1.2 million people. So if you think the hurt and harboring of unforgiveness in your heart won't hold back a couple of hundred, you better think again. Jesus offers, the, offers us forgiveness. He'll forgive us. And when he forgives us, he expects us to forgive others. And he expects others to forgive. It's, it's an ongoing trip all the time. By the way, guess what? One time, don't cut it. If you think nobody's ever going to offend you again, you're probably going to die. Because blessed be God, we're all only human. And humans hurt one another. Not intentionally. It's not a matter of the hurt. It's a matter of what you do with the hurt. Is there somebody in your life that you need to offer some forgiveness to? Renewal won't come. The Holy Spirit won't show up. But there's a third offer here. Our Lord don't just give us the forgiveness because when, when you're forgiven, it leaves kind of a... This is kind of a hurt there. At least kind of open wound there. So, you know, you find it here. He gives us thirdly the offer of healing. He says, an ointment to spread on your eyes that you may see. You know, ointment in those days was the best medical uh, practice you could have. <laughs> ointment. You just rub it on. 
Now, my dad never liked ointment because it never burned. If it don't hurt, it don't work. That was around our house. Methylate was good, mercuricone was bad. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Our Lord, our Lord takes the right medicine, the right ointment, and he rubs it over that, that sore. He rubs it over your eyes. He rubs it over the sore of your heart. He rubs it over that place that needs to be healed if you'll let him. That's the offer from the Savior. But he doesn't just stop there. He moves from the offer. If you receive the offer, think about the opportunity. Think about the opportunity that comes your way. Watch this. Now, folks, I know I'm a little bit long this morning. Please stay with me. It's important. The opportunity. Verse 20. A familiar verse. It is a verse that we preachers and evangelists have for years said, Jesus is at your heart's door knocking. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, have dinner with him, and he with me. The imagery of Jesus standing at the heart door of your, of your life is valid. Certainly he's there. But you know, in the context of the Scripture, chapter 2, chapter 3, he's talking to churches. Can I just tell you what I think he was trying to communicate to us? Listen, he's been locked out of the church. And he's standing at the door of the church, of his church, his bride. And he's been locked out. And he stands there knocking, wanting to get back in. I think this next weekend will be, maybe even this morning will be a time when we say, no, we're not going to let you back in, or yes, let us unhitch the locks, let us allow the door to ring free, that you can come in. It's an opportunity. And the outcome, watch, is verse 21. The outcome is verse 21. He simply says he's the victor. You know what that means? He's the victor. He's won the victory over life and death. But he's not talking about him. He's talking about those of us who've allowed him to come in to our churches, to our hearts. And he said, the victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on the throne. Woo! Not only, let me just tell you in football terms, we don't use the word victor anymore. We use the word win. We're now on the winning team with him. And not only can we sit on the throne with him, we will live in glorious harmony and victory forever. And if when he comes into your heart, your life, this church, this place, this city, this country, lives will be changed. I don't know about you, but as I read this, this passage, as I put together what I thought God wanted us to hear from this word, to call us to spiritual renewal, my heart was stirred. Your heart been stirred. But listen, it's not on the screen, so you just listen. There is a warning. There is a warning. It's a warning that was given to almost every church. And he says, listen, if you have ears, you better hear what I'm saying. It's that serious. This morning... We've heard three keys. Are we willing to use those keys to 
to unlock the door so that he has the freedom to come in? Or would we leave him at the door of our church and our hearts? He wants to come in. Let's pray together.